Jesus has escaped the crowds. Like celebrities then and now, fame has its problems. Jesus has become so famous for his healings and preaching that he can't go anywhere without being surrounded by vast crowds. And so, seeing the masses, Jesus goes up a mountain. Matthew writes that Jesus sat down and his disciples came to him and he taught them. At the end of what has come to be called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew writes that the crowds were astonished at the authority of Jesus' teaching. In the Sermon on the Mount, we are hearing the words directed by Jesus to his disciples while the crowds are overhearing. What we hear tonight comes right after the Beatitudes. In all of the Beatitudes except the last one, Jesus has addressed his hearers indirectly. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who experience sorrow, and so on. Only in the last beatitude does Jesus use a personal pronoun. Blessed are you when people insult you and harass you, etc. In our passage, Jesus begins with the pronoun you, the plural you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus has turned directly to his disciples and he tells them who they are. It might not have been hard for his disciples to believe this about themselves. After all, they were in the inner circle of one of the most famous teachers and preachers and healers in Israel. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The disciples might easily have been have understood Jesus to be giving them the same identity and commission that God had given to Israel, to be a light to the nations, to be the people who preserve the earth. For men who had been far away from the center of power of Judaism's religious and political life, this must have been heady stuff. But Jesus did not just tell his disciples the amazing news that they are important and crucial to the world, although he does tell them that. Jesus also informs them of their responsibility to be who they are. Jesus urges, warns his disciples to act in accordance with the identity that he has given them. Their identity means there is work to do, what Jesus calls good works. Good works that the law and the prophets have prescribed. The disciples' identity is at once a call to action, to act in accordance with the commands of the law in a way that exceeds even the elite law followers, the scribes and Pharisees. If I were one of the disciples, Jesus' words would have thrilled me and also terrified me. I might have felt that it was amazing to be given such a high calling, the kind of calling that God gave to Abraham. But I might also have felt scared about whether I could or even wanted to live such a rigorous life, a life of exceeding righteousness, a life of doing good works in such a way that people would know to glorify God because of what I was doing. That seems like a lot to ask of a simple person. Hold on. I am one of Jesus' disciples. And you are too. 
Jesus' words are words addressed not just to his first disciples, but to all his disciples. Their words to you, their words to me. How did Jesus' words strike you? Do you feel up for or even want the task that Jesus demands? To be the world's salt and light by doing good works and by fulfilling the law and the prophets? I won't ask you to answer that out loud, but as the one standing up here who's raised the question, it seems right that I should. My answer is no. No. I do not feel up to that task. But neither do I want to run away from it. Let me ponder that last thought first. I don't want to run away from the crucial call of God to be the world's salt and light, not only because I want to be part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But I also don't want to run away because I can't see any other way ahead for the world. You and I are here together tonight in part because we care deeply about God's world and because we're distressed about the political and social and ecological mess it is in. Whether or not we have put it to ourselves this way, we are here because we want to be salt and light for God's world. But it's all rather daunting, not just the magnitude of the world's problems, but speaking for myself, my sense of smallness and irrelevance and ineptitude. No, I do not feel up to the task Jesus assigns his disciples. Particularly if Jesus is asking me to help the world by being exceedingly righteous and doing good works in such a way that people glorify God rather than thinking that I am a good person. It gets even worse. Further in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will say, you must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Am I, are we, supposed to be like Jesus? The only perfect one? The only one whose righteousness exceeded that of the scribes and Pharisees? The one whose good works did reveal God's glory? the one who is the light and life of the world? After I take a deep breath and release some of the expectation pressure, I back up and notice that Jesus is demanding such high standards of his disciples. He's not asking me or any of us to live with exceeding righteousness, to live perfectly through our own willpower. He's not asking us to perform such righteousness with any natural capacities we have for justice and love. He's asking us to do good works and fulfill the law as his disciples. He's asking us to act righteously because he's made us able. Because by being near Jesus, by being called by Jesus, we are given a new identity salt and light for the world. 
Being the world's salt and light is not something that we can make ourselves into. It is something that God, through Jesus, has declared that we are. And this is our starting point for our actions for the world. It is not we ourselves who do good deeds. No, we do good works because God has made us the world's preservers and light bearers. We do them as the salt and light that God has made us. Long-standing theological discussions circle around the concepts that Matthew presents here in Jesus' words. Do we do good in order to be saved or because we are saved? Do we do good because we are naturally able to do so or because we are made capable by God through Jesus? Matthew doesn't offer direct answers to these theological and pastoral and personal questions, but Matthew does strongly suggest that it's only on the basis of Jesus' authoritative declaration that Jesus' disciples can do good. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus gives strong warnings about the importance of living that way. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But the overriding claim Jesus makes is that his disciples can be assured that they will enter that kingdom. Why? Because they're gathered around him. In the prayer that Jesus teaches later in his sermon, Jesus tells his disciples that they can share in Jesus' own relationship with God, our Father. They can expect that their sins will be forgiven if they forgive others. They can ask to be steered away from temptation and delivered from evil. In other words, Jesus welcomes those around him into his own relationship with God, and by extension, into his sure assurance that, as he says in the first beatitude, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those whose poverty of spirit has drawn them, drawn us, to seek healing and life that comes from Jesus, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' teaching is meant to help them, to help us understand our good works. We do, not, we do them not so that we can be saved, but because we are. Jesus wants those who gather around him to know that we have a critical role to play for the sake of God's world, and that Jesus has made us able to play that role. The basis for our good works is who we are. And recognizing who we are involves seeing the one who has made us who we are, seeing Jesus. Jesus, the one who gives the Sermon on the Mount, is the one Matthew will describe as dying because of our sins 
and being raised to display the power of that death. The preacher on the mountain is also the healer, the healer of the obstacles to our doing good, the healer of our sins. Jesus, the one who gave himself in order to reveal the impotence, impotence of sin and the power of good. When I recognize who is speaking, then I hear Jesus call for righteousness, not as demand, but as gift. When I survey the wondrous cross, which looms large even while Jesus is the sought-after celebrity on the mountain, when I recognize Jesus and God's costly gift, our good works made possible because God chose to make us able. At the cost of God's Son betrayal and crucifixion, when I meditate on who is preaching that Sermon on the Mount, not a demanding judge, but the one who died for us. Then I'm drawn away from judging my abilities to do good or focusing on whether or not I've lived up to Jesus' demands. Instead, I know simple, humble gratitude that inexplicably God has made me, has made all of us who gather around Jesus able to do God's will. Reminding ourselves and each other of this, that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are the only reason we can do good works. This is critical. If we forget this, we risk losing our identity. If we fail to reshape our self-understanding on the basis of Jesus' declaration of who we are, we may be people who work hard at making justice and doing good, and we may even achieve some glory for our good works. But we are not the world's salt and light. We ourselves may not be able to see the difference in the outcome between doing good out of our own resources and doing good as Jesus' disciples, but that's not ours to know anyway. We are only asked to be with Jesus and hear him tell us who we are, encouraging us to do good works for the sake of God's world. And we are doing that now. We are gathered around Jesus this evening, taking his body and blood, given for us the night he was handed over for our sins, given for us so that we can be the world's salt and light. This evening we are asked to see again the great gift God has given us in Jesus. We are enabled to act as Jesus the light and life of the world.